Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. You've made it to the China Shop. We've got a special guest interview episode for you today. I'm shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialIneptitude.com. Kyle, how excited are you today for this interview? I am really excited. and I feel bad because I should have been prepping for this one a lot earlier, but uh, it's not very often we get a good options guest on, and this one looks like it's going to be a really fun one. Yes, that's right. We are joined by Cece Lagator from Options AI. How are you doing today, Cece? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So is your name literally two C's or is that yeah. like an abbreviation? It's uh, Calvin Christopher, but I've gone by that my whole life. So it's sort of a great screening method. You know, if somebody's calling up asking for Calvin, I know they're like looking for money or something. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Very nice. <laughs> I was just thinking of like CeCe's pizza. He's not here. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, CeCe. Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I, uh, my first job out of college was as an options market maker. And, you know, I wasn't the type of, you know, I wasn't one of those kids that in high school and college was reading the Wall Street Journal and, you know, really obsessed with the stock market. Mm -hmm. And, but this, you know, this opportunity came up and I went, I had gone to school in Philadelphia and my only sort of entree into that world was we used to like late at night, we'd go down to Atlantic City uh, when we had nothing <laughs> <laughs> okay you know so i had this, you know these sort of basic you know cards uh versions of probability and statistics and all those sorts of things and then it turns out you know that's exactly what the job is mm. and in a lot of ways when you're on that side of the business you know and it's strictly math and probability uh you know it can sometimes hurt to know a little bit too much you know the markets and you know, I th there was a guy I used to trade with at my old company. I think he was trading some symbol like HBO or something for years before he realized it wasn't like the TV network. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's the sort of thing because you're, you're sitting there and you're, you know, you're making markets in like 250 symbols. And for you, it's all about um, risk and reward and probability. And, you know, all of those things get um, boiled down into Greeks and, all that sort of aspect of options. But basically, at the end of the day, all you're doing is balancing, you know, the amount of risk you're willing to take on as a market maker, you're trying to like constantly produce edge in every trade you do. Mm -hmm. And then you have to, you know, fly by the seat of your pants to manage it all to try to capture all of that edge you've created before it all expires, right? Does that mean that you're like kind of similar, like an odds maker, like for a bookie? Like Exactly. You're exactly like a bookie. Right. Uh -huh. And so if somebody is, you know, you're, you're a bookie and there's a, a million games going on at once. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing it all through like this um, very broad, uh, you know, sort of prism. But 
it is, I, I think I, I, I often compare options. It's, um, it's as if uh, like a horse race, you know, you have like the long shot, it's 30 to one. And then you have mm-hmm. the favorite, which is like two to one or something. And the options market is basically all of that odds that simply, but then you can bet and close and open positions all the way through the race until it ends. Right. Right. And all of those odds are changing and that, you know, that's sort of, you know, buying that really far out of the money option is like the long shot. And then, you know, selling at the money premium is like the long, you know, is the favorite. And yeah, so Hmm. going from, you know, that into that job, you know, you learn all of these things. And over the years, I started getting involved with a little bit more of options education and started seeing it a little bit more from the retail side of things and how they were seeing this market. And at some point I teamed up with uh, another uh, friend where we were two of the three co-founders of Options AI. And he came from the institutional brokerage options side of the business. Oh, okay. And we sort of, you know, we set out to address what we saw was kind of broken in the retail options market. And basically it was that retail options flow looks very different than institutional flow. And, you know, we set out to try to fix that. Why is that? Well, it's a, there's a couple of reasons. One of them is just, um, you know, one of them is unfortunately kind of regulatory, which is if, you st- if you're getting into, let's say you have <clears throat> like an E-Trade account or something and you wanted to get into options, they basically start you with some really basic trades. Uh, you know, you're allowed to buy a call, you're allowed to buy a put. Unfortunately, those are like really like the lowest probability trade. <laughs> I think we had that same conversation. Yeah. The way you onboard into options is like, here, do a bunch of bad trades first. Right. And then you get the good stuff, right? Which is kind of fascinating. And then the other aspects of it are along those same lines. I mean, the, the regulators do that for a reason, which is they don't want people getting in trouble. They don't want them breaking more than they can understand. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just saying, uh, I was agreeing with what you're saying about the the onboarding process because Dan and I both used uh, um, Thinkorswim's platform. Yeah. And like they start you out the same way. You can do naked mm-hmm. calls, naked puts, but right. you need the next tier in order to do the one that's like, you know, the really good one, the cover calls and cash secured puts. And Yeah. Yeah. Like why, why are the less risky trades? <laughs> why do you need more qualifications to take less risk? Yeah. And, and, and part of that is, you know, you understand the, the reasons behind this is they don't want people getting into risks they don't understand. Right. Right. Um, and so that risk they don't understand is I have always felt it's a much easier hurdle than it's made out to be, mm-hmm. which is if you are buying a call or buying a put, the reason they start you with that is you're like, all right, I buy a call, stock goes up, call goes up right? I buy a Mm -hmm. book, stock goes down, call, you know, people can wrap their head around that. And I think people find comfort in that. And then what confuses them is they're like, I I bought a call, this stock went higher and the call didn't really go very high or it didn't go as high as I thought it would. And that's what really trips people up. And so when we started, um, you know, when we got into building what would become Options AI, we were like, all right, well, how can we tell the story of these other trades? These level three trades is what they're called, you know, regulatory wise. Hmm. And that's basically how do I, how can I both think of options as both buying and selling options? 
And, you know, one of the ways to do that is by packaging very easy to understand multi-leg option strategies. And those are, you know, instead of buying a call, buy a call spread. Instead of maybe that buying a call spread, maybe sell a put spread. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe combine that all together into something like an iron condor where, you know, I could potentially make income if the stock goes sideways. And so all of those things we felt were much easier to explain visually and that, you know, that a retail audience that wants to use these things in their everyday investing, it's, it shouldn't be like this wall of numbers with all this fear. Can we take uh, just a second to step back in case some of the listeners aren't familiar with some of these terms? Yeah. Uh, just like real quick, what's the difference between uh, just a regular put and a, a credit spread or a debit spread? Yeah. So the easiest way to think about it is, you know, let's say if uh, let's even use numbers, if a stock is trading 100, you know, you could buy a call, like let's say the 100 call, and mm-hmm. maybe it's trading $4. You need the stock to go up to 104 or above, you know, at expiration to make money on that call. You've paid $4 for the right to only pay $4 <laughs> right. for the chance. For that stock to go higher, right? Now, the problem with that is that clearly, if you need a stock to go $4 higher, you're, you're starting from under 50% probability of that happening, right? Right. And what a, the, you know, the, the simplest first multi-leg spread to understand in a lot of ways is, well, what if I, instead of paying that $4 for the chance of infinite money if this stock went higher... What if I just defined a zone where I think it's realistic that the stock could go higher? And so what a call spread is, is buying that 100 call and let's say selling the 110 call. Mm-hmm. And so let's say that 110 call is trading $1.50. Well, now I'm in that call spread for two fifty. Now I only need the stock to go up um, by $2.50 instead of $4. I've increased my probability of that happening. Because it going to 102.5 is much higher probability than 104. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I've given up is that if the stock goes to like 120, I stop participating above 110 because I've sold that 110 call. Reducing risk for less gain, less potential gain. Yeah, you're, you're playing, um, you know, you're, you're shooting for doubles instead of home runs, right? Right. And in general, that's a very good way to think about all markets and all trading. Right, it's the, the I can I can count on one hand the the times I've like just had some surprise lottery ticket type experience in options. The majority of it is all those singles and doubles and all adding up. It's funny because I think most people get into options for that lottery ticket too. They want the home runs. Oh yeah, it's so. I mean, that's exactly yeah. People are like, oh, what if? What if this happened? Right. And the problem is, is you have to do those trades, you know, 20 times before the one happens and it, it's, it can become death by a thousand cuts, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so anyway, that's like the most basic, uh, you know, multi-leg option strategy is if you understand that, it's like I'm, I'm basically creating a zone between 100 and 110. Mm-hmm. And that spread will be worth anywhere from zero to 110, you know, and I'm willing to pay 250 for it and make up to 750 right? Right. So then to, the easiest way to now explain a credit spread is it's just, it's the same trade. You were just on the other side of it. 
So the same way that like uh, you could buy a stock for 100 and it could go up forever, mm-hmm. or you could short that stock at 100 and it could go down to zero. So selling a spread is the same way. So if that spread is 250 and you sell it at 250, you're risking 750 to make that 250, right? You're betting that mm-hmm. the person buying that spread is wrong and that the stock's going to go lower or sideways. Mm-hmm. And that selling options in that manner is above 50% probability of profit because the chances of something happening are less than 50% than something happening the exact opposite way or nothing happening at all, right? Uh So anytime you're selling options, you are starting from above 50% probability. And this is where I think a lot of people get into a little bit of trouble is they're like, oh, that's great. So why don't I just go in and just sell options constantly? And the issue becomes is if you're not doing it in a very defined risk way where you know exactly if things went wrong, you know exactly how much it could go wrong. You don't want to be paying the lottery ticket. (laughs) Yeah, you don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want to be the, um, yeah. The, the guy on the hook for the uh, mega millions, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's exactly why, you know, and this to circle back to, you know, Options AI is we built a platform so that people could do these types of trades, buy that debit call spread instead of buying a call, sell that credit call spread uh, instead of like buying a put and at a high probability, but do it in a way where they're looking and they're being like, okay, I'm risking $700 to make $300. I understand that, right? Mm -hmm. And if the stock were to go to 150, I just lose my $700. I'm not on the hook and I don't have to sell my house. And (laughs) so so yeah, those kinds of like packages, but I I feel like when you explain it in that way, where, you know, you, you, you can either buy this $10 spread or sell this $10 spread and it's the same trade. Mm -hmm. It's just what side of of it you're on. Then, then like a light bulb moment goes off with people and they're like, oh, that means I can start using these types of trades and think about it as, you know, I have a portfolio that's worth, you know, whatever amount of money. I could be doing like credit call spreads all over the place, right? Yep. And I could be ch- attempting to add income or, you know, a couple of weeks ago in the market, the market's down big. People are starting to get, you're like, man, I, I kind of feel like I want to own Amazon at a hundred or whatever it was after the split. Right. And, but I'm kind of, you know, I don't want to just load up on Amazon stock because what if it, you know, the, this market, this bear market keeps going and it's like, put and, and also, People are going crazy and the market's crashing. Well, what if I just sell some credit put spreads in a bunch of these stocks I like? And if the market keeps going down, I lose a little bit of money and live to fight another day. But if it goes up, you know, I just did this very high percentage, high probability strategy instead of just going out and buying a bunch of stocks. So those kinds of things we, you know, we think is, um, you know, it should be, it should be easily, it should be more straightforward for the average investor. I also noticed that, uh, yeah, you do have a lot of educational content on your website too. I think I was just looking through trying to read up on an iron condor since I, you mentioned that earlier. And uh, yeah, for some reason I still have never actually looked that up to see what it actually is. No, the iron condor, it's great. We had one guy um, tell us one time, he's like, I have no idea what an iron condor is, but I want to be an iron condor trader. <laughs> just because it sounds cool. <laughs> 
sounds like an action movie. We're like, we're like can we use that in advertising? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so basically, an iron condor is, you know, I explained uh, that, you know, credit call spread earlier. So imagine like $100 stock mm-hmm. and you wanted to sell a call spread up above where the stock is trading and you wanted to sell it at, you know, 105, right? So you wanted to do like the 105, 106 uh, credit call spread. Mm-hmm. At the same time, an iron condor, all that is, is doing the same exact thing on the other side, on the put side. So you'd be selling the 95, 94 put spread. Okay. So you're betting on sideways action. Exactly. So you, you've now created a range in the stock between 95 and 105 that you basically, the credit you sold that iron condor at, you get to collect the entire thing if the stock stays between 95 and 105. Mm-hmm. And it's a great income strategy for even against like if you owned that stock i i i think it's a great income strategy i think it i personally i like it a lot more than like covered calls and things like that Hmm. um and you could just do it on your own so the way that works what's interesting about an iron condor is you know let's say you sold that credit put spread uh at 30 cents and let's say you Mm -hmm. sold that credit call spread at 30 cents if you had just done one of those on its own you would be risking 70 to make 30, right? Like that explanation right. earlier. When yep. you do it both at the same time, you are now actually only risking 40 to make up to 60 because the stock can't go both ways, right? Uh-huh. So if the stock, if, if the stock goes up to 110 and you blow out on the, the call side of the spread, that put spread is max gain, right? So it covers you mm-hmm. to some extent. You're still, you're still lost on the trade. It broke your zone, but you're always going to win on one of the sides and you're rooting for it to win on both of the sides. And that's, that's an iron condor. I mean, that's, it's simple. And, and again, it's like one of those things where it's, it's sort of, it sounds terrifying. And then people are talking about gamma and vega and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, wait, I understand. I want a stock to finish between 95 and 105 and I'm risking X to, to make X to, or Y to do that. Right. And you know, wh- that's what we do is we, we look at that and say, you should be able to see that visually on a chart. And that's sort of the center of the options AI experience, which is you see a chart and then you see that trade laid out in the future and you're literally ro- rooting for it, the stock almost like a, um, what was that old like pong game? Remember that? Uh, I think it was Pong, wasn't you it? The ball to stay in between those two things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you, you're you, you're like okay, I get it. Like, and now the stock's down, approaching my put, and I'm seeing it play out over time. And you know, should I manage this? Should I close it early? You know, those types of things. We we think it's much more intuitive to, for people to see it on what they're used to looking at, which is stock charts. I like that. I, w- I watched the video of you on YouTube kind of walking through like how the platform mm-hmm. uh, works. And that was one of the things that I really liked that you showed on there was you looked at one of your right. open uh, trades and it was showing how it was like, you know, approaching your max gain already and then an earning event coming up yes. and then making the decision to close it out now instead of because right. there's no more risk for you. Right. If you're yeah. already almost capped out, but you can visually see that on the chart now. Yeah. There's no guesswork or panic. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the big things, you know, again, going back to, I don't want to like bash the options Greeks, the whole call, but um, it's, you know, if you've sold a, that iron condor at 60 cents, 
which is unrealistic price, by the way, but that's what popped into my head. Um, okay. <laughs> the, let's say you did it at 50 cents. The, you know, if the, if you had already made, let's say the thing was tra- now trading 10 cents, uh, it's getting very late. You did it three weeks out and it's in the last week, right? Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden you've, if you just close it right there, you've made 40 cents, right? Yeah. Um, and then you've got like an earnings coming up <laughs> a day later and you're like, do I wait around for this last 10 cents or do I, you know, just close this and take my winnings? Like it's very easy to see that when you're looking at it visually with those updated metrics is you're now risking 90 cents on that last 10 cents. Um, right. and you're willing, you know, you, you could turn a winning trade into a, a losing trade. Um, and so that kind of trade management, we also want to be extremely intuitive. It's like, uh, you know, I shouldn't be like looking at, um, you know, what's my gamma for the next three days in this trade and all. It's like, it's 10 cents. Like, what do you need to know about it? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So what's the difference like, when a market maker is like putting on the, um, like filling the book basically, cause that's what you're doing, right? You're, you're creating liquidity for everybody else. I'm assuming that's why sometimes you see like options that don't have a lot of interest. They have like a really widespread. Yeah. So that's that's you who's putting in that like two dollar spread. Yeah, I wouldn't have. <laughs> that's Citadel. That's Citadel. No, that's okay, um, okay. <laughs> no, that's exactly what it is. So basically, if you think about it um, from like a, a stock market making. Right. So if mm-hmm. I'm making markets in stocks on the NASDAQ or something, uh, and let's say I was also making markets in 200 and some stocks, it's pretty straightforward. It's, um, you know, it's 250 bids and asks that I have to produce okay. in those stocks and with a ton of retail flow in between that bid and ask. So in, if you go to buy a stock like Apple and you're doing it on your you know, platform at home, there's a pretty high probability that you're getting paired up with somebody that's selling Apple at the same moment. Right. right. And that all that stuff's happening in an equity market. When you th- then go into the option side of things, even in Apple, you've got thousands of strikes and dozens of expirations, you know, spread out over the next two years. Mm-hmm. The chances of you putting in an order exactly at the same time of somebody else doing it three months out in Apple, you know, $20 away from where Apple's trading is next to zero, right? Right. So that means that options market makers are pretty much on the other side of your trade almost all the time. And it's a competitive market and they're all trying to, uh, you know, if they, you know, they want that order flow and the way they're doing it on their end. And this is very important for the people that are you know trading options and wondering how all this works is that bid and ask is a public bid ask and it's somebody it's probably somebody different on the bid than it is on the offer Mm -hmm. and every person every market maker let's say there's 20 companies making a market in that option they all have something called um they're what they'll call fair value Right. So let's say that you see, you go to your screen and you're looking at a call and it's like a dollar at a dollar 30. Right. There's a bunch of people whose fair value for that option is 115. There might be some people that are like 110. There might be other people 120. And that's dependent on the the exact inputs they're putting into their model at that moment, Mm -hmm. which is, but it's also based on what their other positions are in that stock. Right. 
So somebody might be willing to pay <clears throat> more, even than like where the center point of that option is, because they just sold something nearby at a much higher value. And so what the market maker is doing all day long is they're trying to build up edge. If they have fair value of 115 on an option and somebody sells it to them at 110, mm-hmm. they're trying to lock in the edge, not necessarily on that option, especially if it's illiquid. But there's another option nearby, let's say in that same expiration, that they have valued at a dollar that somebody's willing to pay 105. And if they sell that at 105, they've let then created 10 cents in edge, right? Uh-huh. And then that's sort of how they make money. And they're trying to do that all day long. And then they have to manage the, the, the sort of resulting positions that it's left them with. And that's where all the gamma and vega and all that sort of thing comes in. Mm-hmm. And that is basically they're trying to ride that, those positions into expiration and capture as much of that 10 cents, that theoretical 10 cents they've just created. Mm-hmm. They're trying to ride that in and capture as much of that 10 cents as possible. So is that why sometimes when like I'm trying to close a position out, but there's not a whole lot of liquidity on the markets, like if I set my bid or set my my ask price uh, to like right in the middle of the bid's yeah. ask spread, sometimes it'll just sit there. And then if I drop it another penny, it's snapped up instantaneously. Is that the market maker grabbing it or? We've actually built a trade ticket, you know, so Options AI has a trade ticket around that exact concept that you're talking about. Options are wider, right? You know, they're mm-hmm. liquidity and you should not be hitting bids and taking offers unless you absolutely have to. Right. And what you should do is exactly what you did. You should put it in the middle with that, you know, there's a 25% chance there's somebody out there willing to pay for it. And not only that, but like you, they have to represent you in a single leg. They have to represent you and there might be in a heavily traded option, there's, it's just a matter of time before somebody, somebody else does retail wise comes and trades the other side of that. Right. Right. Um, but you should absolutely try to find that liquidity. You should start at the center and you should walk it lower if you're selling and, or you should start in the center and walk it higher until, um, you're filled and you're basically finding out when, and, and, you know, I'm referring to market makers as if they're sitting there staring at their screen, waiting for your order. Right? <laughs> I assume it's an algorithm of some sort. <laughs> exactly. So they have it. You're, you're starting at 115 and you walk it up to 120 and you trigger one of their things saying, I'm willing to sell this at 120. And, you, and they weren't showing it. You know, they were showing it at 130. Yeah. But they are in a competitive market and they can't let that pass up if they really need it. You know what I mean? So what happens if you were to market order then? Do you just go to the what's ever on the book or do you get pat? Like I've always wondered how that actually works. Like when there's hidden liquidity there, do you execute at that price or do you actually execute at whatever the market is? They, w- I think it, it would depend on the width. Um, if there was something like the one you described earlier, where it's like $2 wide, right? Like, like mm-hmm. it depends, right? Where it got routed to, what exchange it got routed to, if it got put into auction and all of these like weird intricacies of the markets. Um, but if it got shown and it got shown into a competitive auction, then the people are going to price improve Yeah, because somebody wants that thing. If it gets routed into something with basically only one guy sitting, you know, who knows where is the only guy making a market on that, then you might get filled on the bid or the offer, which really sucks, <laughs> right? Right. Okay. So even there, you have to think about it this way is I would still, even with that order, 
walk it down, walk it down. He's, you know, he, the, the, his algorithm, that person's algorithm is probably not going to wait until you hit the bid. Mm-hmm. They're going to fill you before that. So I would just say a hundred percent of the time, unless you're in like a jam and you've really got to get out of a position and the markets are going crazy. And even then I wouldn't put in a market order. We don't even allow it on options AI. Put it that way. Oh, really? Yeah. We don't allow market orders on options because 85% of our orders are multi-leg options. Mm -hmm. Put that in as a market order would just be insane. Um, Right. (laughs) So we encourage you to start in the center. Like it fills out your, it pre-fills out your ticket at the center and we show you a visual representation of the current market. And we sort of, it sort of nudges you to walk it, walk it up or walk it down. What are some of the other improvements that you've made uh, in order to help retail? Like what are some of the other issues that you've seen that Options AI helps address? Yeah, well, I think one of the... um, one of the big things is, you know, and I keep, you know, I was mentioning Greeks earlier. It's the Greeks are there, like on the options AI platform, you can see them all. You can see these, you know, how these things are translated into sort of the traditional language. But uh, we really focus on probability of profit and risk reward. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of going back to those explanations I was doing earlier is that when you are doing one of these defined risk credit spreads or defined risk debit spreads, um, you know, you should be looking at this as a risk reward and probability of profit uh, scenario. And one of the things we have is, you know, we have like a trade scanner, where let's say, um, you know, you were looking at you had a like a shopping list of five of your favorite stocks, uh, mm-hmm. that were all getting hammered in the market, you know, you can go in and put in, um, you know, I want to see credit put spreads, in these five stocks on this, you know, two weeks from now at a probability of profit of roughly 70%, right? Mm -hmm. And it's going to generate those five trades. You know, it's going to pick those strikes uh, that represent that probability of profit. And then you can just quickly scan those and be like, you know what, I'm going to do that Amazon one, or I'm going to do the Amazon and the Netflix one. And that's just sort of like like the mindset that you should be having. And then, by the way, when you're clicking that trade, it's showing you a visual representation of that trade. You can be like, oh, that's right near that low, that former low in that stock. I really love that put spread there, that credit put spread there. Right. So and that's the other thing is that this sort of visual trading is that, you know, when you stare at an options chain, uh, first of all, up is down and down is up. Like it doesn't really make any sense intuitively. And there's so many strikes. Yeah, and there's so, so many. many. <laughs> the wall of numbers. Like we always, we always think of ourselves as like the, um, you know, that scene in the Matrix where he sees the code. Um, oh yeah, and he's pointing out the blonde. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like the whole world is that code, and then he puts it together as the Matrix. Um, the yeah, so like staring at that wall of numbers where nothing is intuitive and up is down, and you have no context of where you are and. By putting these things on a chart, you can say, oh, you know, this was, I'm, I want to sell a call spread in the stock I own. Oh, where do you want to sell it? Uh, up near these previous highs, which just also happens to be where the expected move from the options market is. And I'm doing it three weeks out. And I can see perfectly that in order for me in order for this not to have been placed in the right spot, it would, this stock needs to break out and have a new high. And I really like mm-hmm. those odds, right? Um, so that kind of visual trading 
And I mentioned there the expected move and uh, some people that are like kind of into options that are listening, they might recognize that it's called implied move and expected move. And we put that on the chart as well. We show you the future and we show you what that expected move is. And all that expected move is, it's basically like the line in a, uh, you know, in a football game. And it's something that's created by all that order flow in uh, the okay. all the way from, you know, a Robin Hood trader with $200 in his account all the way to like Goldman Sachs. And all of that order flow is creating these expectations in the future of how much a stock could move. Mm-hmm. And by seeing that expected move, you basically are, you know, as a trader or as an investor, you get to see that, you know, the, uh, the Ravens are favored by seven, right? Like it would be very weird entering into a sports bet on an NFL game where you didn't know how much the one team was favored. Right. And if the options market is doing the same thing for you. It's basically saying, you know, this stock is about to report earnings. The options market is pricing an 8% move on earnings. And so, you know, this Friday, this stock is either going to be 108 or 92 or somewhere in between. And it's not telling you where, like, it's not like predictive as much as it's basically telling you where everybody's lined up. And then you can look at that and decide, you know, is the market, which side of the market am I on? Like, do I want to be a Mm -hmm. seller? Do I really think this stock's going to move $8? If not, I should be thinking credit spreads. And I should be selling credit spreads outside of that $8 expected move. And the market's basically telling me that, you know, that's where everybody thinks it's, it's going to move. Translating that, that wall of numbers into things like that visually. <laughs> uh, does it also show, when you're talking about the expected move, does yep. it show you like the uh, distribution or the breakdown of like where the bets are? Oh, so we're, we're actually very soon we're going to be releasing that. And so what we've got on a new version of our charts is we've got two really cool things. One of them is exactly what you just mentioned. Nice, nice. So it would say here's the open interest on this chart out into the future. And you, you'll be able to see it almost like a heat map, if you could picture that. Yep. Where it's like, there's a ton of calls up here in the stock, right? Mm-hmm. And what that tells me as a trader, again, none of this is predictive. It's not necessarily going to happen, but it gives you some inputs into if the stock went up here, it's going to run into a lot of sellers, right? Ah, uh, right. Because there's a lot of people that like own calls up there and they're going to have stock to sell, right? And so that kind of, um, you know, like, you know, that's a layer on the chart. And we're actually working on that right now. And it should be ready in a, like a couple of weeks. Um, and then the other, you know, and again, like you could also see, you know, you're hovering on the chart. Well, what's the probability of the stock moving up to that level? And this is all just like taking all of that well of numbers from the options market and putting it into a visual representation. Uh, I got to say, looking, uh, watching some of the videos on the options.ai website, yeah, knowing what some of these spreads were, uh, just seeing that visual representation made it, I, I had wished I'd seen that at the very beginning when I was trying to figure out what they were. Yeah. And I don't know if, 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 you know, folks in the audience have probably seen this and you all have definitely seen this, but um, an options payout diagram, you know, I was mentioning the options chain being where the numbers go down as you go higher and how ridiculously dumb that is. And (laughs) the, the other thing with the options payout diagrams is they reverse the X and Y axis into 
where you're you're no longer thinking up and down, like the stock is on the uh, x-axis, right? So you're like, oh, huh. the stock goes higher. That's to the right on this chart, <laughs> right? And so right. it's all very strange. And so that's, again, it's like, that's not how people think. You know, people are used to looking at stock charts. If a stock goes higher, it should go higher on the chart, not to the right or left. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's another thing is like we took and we took like these common option strategies and we say, can we put this onto a chart that makes sense? And we're like, yeah, we can. That actually, okay. That reminds me. I wanted to know how you've, you've come up with the probability percentages. I was just curious, like how that's figured out. Yeah. So this is very basic and this goes into, you know, we do not want to be providing like a, a super proprietary, um, figure there because we think there are people that run those kinds of models. We think it's, a, mm-hmm. we think it's not that important for people to understand the basics, right? Mm-hmm. And the basics are that, let's say you have a stock that's 100 and the, one of, you know, the 100 call, that example I used earlier, is $4. The probability of that profit on that trade is based upon its break-even, which is 104. And we're pulling mm-hmm. that 104 from that expiry from the deltas of the options market, right? So the delta, okay. we're, we're using the delta to say that, you know, the 104. And so let's say if it was 103.63, we're interpolating that spot as a delta. And a delta is just... And so delta is the, the definition of a delta. It's one of the basic Greeks of options. And it's basically that if I bought an option for a dollar and its delta was 50, if the stock went up a dollar, that option would now be worth a dollar 50. But what it, can be also, what it can also be used at is a probability of something happening of the stock moving to that level. Oh, okay. If you look at like a $100 stock and the 110 calls are a 10 delta, it's basically telling you that there's about a 10% chance that the stock could go to 110. I've also heard that it can be used too for hedging purposes. Exactly. And like the, the delta hedge, if it's a 30, yeah. then you need 30 shares against one call. Exactly. So let's say you were along um, uh, a thousand like deltas of stock, which is a thousand shares. Yeah, you're basically saying if I want to hedge this position and this option is 30 deltas Mm -hmm. and I wanted to do it 100%, then I would need to do as many options at 30 deltas that added up to the deltas of my stock. Mm -hmm. Um, Or to your point, like if you did a 30 delta put against stock, then you would basically, if the stock just went slightly lower, you would only be protecting 30% of your position. Now, if it went down, if the stock cratered, those deltas change, right? Yeah, I always wondered how the market maker responds to that. Yeah. When the delta shoots up from 20 to 50, like, uh, are they buying that on the way up or is there a set time when they like are looking to balance? So it's the, it gets mixed into this massive soup of your sort of risk, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of those... Uh, and then there's sort of like second level and third level Greeks. And those are kind of more, if you've traded long enough and you're a market maker, those kind of become intuitive. Um, and I wouldn't recommend anybody waste their time trying to understand them. But <laughs> So basically the way it works is the delta changing as the stock is going higher is what's known as gamma, right? And so okay. your gamma risk as a market maker is one of your biggest risks. You have other risks. So you have delta risk, but most market makers are trying to stay close to delta neutral. 
but their gamma risk is what gets them out of delta neutral. So if a stock's 100 and they're short gamma, meaning that they've sold a ton of options, mm-hmm. and then the stock goes to 110, they're going to be very short deltas because basically it's the equivalent of them having been short a ton of calls. And okay. when the stock moves, their delta is changing. And the worst possible scenario for a market maker is they've sold all of that premium and they have X amount of edge. And then the stock keeps going higher and that goes lower and higher and lower. And they're buying high and selling low, buying high and selling low. And then they've just lost all of that. edge. <laughs> okay. And so if you all remember from the mean stock days, which we're briefly back last week, right? Uh, there's still kind of yeah. going on right now, actually. <laughs> still kind of going on, yeah. And so in those meme stock days, what was got, one of the interesting things that was happening there is that there were so many, so much of that like retail, small trading, it was all one direction, right? Everybody was out just buying calls, buying upside calls. Mm-hmm. And in ridiculous levels, right? So the stock would be trading 100 and people are buying like $400 calls, right? And so what would happen is there's absolutely no way for a market maker to hedge the sale of a 400 strike call on a $100 stock. They Uh, they might as well ignore it until the stock goes up there, right? And so that's what was happening in those meme stocks is the stocks were ripping higher. And then all of a sudden, like this market maker that had sold all of these really far out of the money calls, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, those are no longer far out of the money. I better start hedging those. And so how do you hedge? You start buying stock. And so those market makers were help, help, they were helping to push up those meme stocks. Right. So not only were they being short squeezed on the equity side where short sellers had to then step in and buy higher, but then the options market makers were supercharging those short squeezes because they had to go in and buy stock to try to stay delta neutral. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So basically if I bought, if I, you know, if I'm a market maker and somebody, the stock's 100 and someone buys a 110 call from me and let's say I have it at 10 deltas, I then have to go buy 10 shares of stock, right? Yep. As the stock moves higher and it gets to 110 and let's say it did that overnight, I suddenly have another 40 deltas to cover. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, because now it's a fifty delta option, and so I have to that morning I have to buy another forty shares of stock against this call because I'd only bought ten the day before against it. Mm. But now it's a different delta, uh. and then the stock keeps going up. I keep having to buy that other fifty until eventually I'm completely neutral. So, and then the stock goes the other way, and I have to start selling it. Right. So, is it worth paying attention to the uh, the open interest and options just to see uh, yeah. if if those things might happen? Yeah, and that's sort of what I was mentioning about that um, that layer when you brought up like, can you see where people's right, you know, bets are in the future? That's where it gets yes. kind of interesting because you're like, man, if it goes when when I look at like options, open interest, and especially on like a Thursday or Friday, you, there's sometimes when you can predict a stock like pinning. Do you do you all know what that means? Where it doesn't really move. Yeah, and it pins like exactly on a strike. Right. And it's basically because of, bun- you know, everything I just described of like, you know, the stock goes higher. Um, there's stock to think about it in the opposite direction. Let's say a market maker is really long a 100 strike and then the stock goes higher. They have stock to sell. Mm-hmm. And then the stock is lower. They have stock to buy. And what ha- ends up happening is if the whole market oh. is positioned that way, 
it's almost like that pong. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps getting closer uh-huh. and closer and closer until the, it expires. And that's why a lot of times you'll see a stock finish like exactly on the strike on a Friday. Right. And it's because that is pinned and that's what's happening. It's getting pinned. So everybody ends at neutral. That's the neutral point. Exactly. They're saying like, and by the end of the day, in the last 10 minutes, the stock goes to 105 cents and they have stock to sell and then it goes down 10 cents and now it's 99.95 and they've stocked to buy right and then that that just works like this um like trash compactor down to the strike mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. compressing it down to that strike so it's not necessarily something nefarious then no, uh, no. like trying to keep a strike from exercising the money it's more just the nature of the hedging a weird market inefficiency. And there's a there's a bunch of those types of things. Like that meme stock, gamma squeeze is one of them. I mean, short what, squeezes in general are a weir- really weird market in- inefficiency. What What is a gamma squeeze? So a gamma squeeze is what I was describing where if the stock was ripping higher and all of, <clears throat> all of those market makers were short, like upside calls, they keep having to buy stock to stay delta neutral. And so they're... It's basically they're the ones powering the stock higher at some point. Okay, so you're an uh, you're a market maker then, or were so uh, stocks trading at let's say sixteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, at which strike would you start deciding like, oh shit, I need to start getting some shares of this in order to hedge it? Like, what would be the gamma turning point for you? So ideally, you're doing it in real time, mm-hmm. right? So in a really efficient uh, system, every 10 cent tick higher, you're buying like a small little amount. Um, the, 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 but the reality of the situation is that stocks gap, right? They gap on the opening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that what ends up high, happening is you have a, you have a choice to make, right? So let's say you were short gamma and an earnings comes out and the stocks up $10. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could either cover all of those new short deltas that have been created at that moment, or you could, you know, roll the dice a little bit and see if it comes in a couple of dollars and see so <laughs> a better level, right? So you're li- you're constantly living as a market maker with those kinds of real time decisions where you're like, um, you know, do I do it all at once? Because the worst thing that can happen is the stock gaps ten dollars higher. You buy a bunch of stock and then it immediately comes in $5 because guess what you're doing there? You're selling stock. So you've now right. bought high and sold low. Um, but the, the, you know, what you're supposed to be doing is every, you know, theoretically you should be doing it every penny. It just seems like it's like a positive feedback loop. Like if the options oh, yeah. market is very thick or very, yeah. there's a lot of interest in there. It just seems like that extra added buying pressure every time a call train changes yeah. his, uh, changes hands, like should just, yeah. Like how do you arrest that? Like that seems like that could just really create a parabolic move. Yeah. And I think if people are, you know, in the, that are listening, if they really want to get into options and if they want to dive sort of, you know, dive deeper, I always recommend, I remember when I was training, mm-hmm. so we trained for about a year uh, before they let us, you know, be a trader. So you're basically an assistant. Oh, assistant they don't just, they just <laughs> throw you in. Yeah, no, they don't throw you in. And so Why, yeah. here's, here's a million dollars. Good luck. Um, they, they, um, you know, like, so you're training, you're get you're an assistant. So, right. You're witnessing a bunch of stuff you don't understand yet. And then you're getting like a phone thrown at your head when you screw up. (laughs) Yeah. And then you are, uh, you know, after the close, there's like a, you know, at least at my firm, there was a traditional education 
aspect for all of the trainees, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the, you just remember those kind of light bulb moments because at first, like, none of it makes sense, right? Like, I, I think I didn't even know the difference between like a bid and an ask coming out of college, right? Like, I was like, what? <laughs> I thought you were going to say on your first day. <laughs> right? Like, that's one of those first concepts, like, you know, like when you're trading, you're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. I don't get that. And then you, and then it dawns on you what's going on there. So it's the same thing. And you can, when you're learning options, there's a couple of light bulb moments. And one of the things that I think was sort of the next level realization of like what, how options really work is if you understand, so let's say, you know, using an example, a hundred dollar stock and a one Oh four call, uh, I'm sorry, a, a $104 stock. Okay. And a 100 call is trading $5, right? Yep. That means $4 of that is what it's worth, what it will be worth at expiration if the stock finished at 104, right? Mm -hmm. That extra dollar is everything about options. Yeah. So that extra dollar is what we used to call the premium, right? We would call it the uh, but it's like extrinsic premium, right? The four dollars is the mm-hmm. intrinsic premium. It's what it's worth. That extra dollar is extrinsic premium. That extra dollar, if you understand how that works, is that you understand everything about options. And it's basically all of the time value, all of those Greeks, all of the uncertainty mm-hmm. priced into how much it's worth. You know that trader uh, or that investor. Uh, to have that kind of, you know, a position for that uncertainty. And so what I always told people, and I remember this light bulb moment, is we would do this mock trading exercise. And I remember one of them was basically trading into that last minute of expiration and understanding how quickly that $1 collapses. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's basically, you know, going back to the horse racing analogy, it's you're betting all the way through the race, but like in that last couple of lengths of that horse race it's unless somebody breaks a leg right right it's kind of obvious what's going to happen in that race and all of that premium for all that uncertainty starts to evaporate really quickly and so i always recommend to people just pull up like a spy options you know like the Uh money spy options and watch like the last 15 minutes of expiration friday and if you understand that sort of ebb and flow of like as the stock's moving around a little bit and you understand all of that premium collapsing, uh, it's really, it's really eye-opening. Especially if you can find one that's being pinned and watch that one evaporate. Oh, yeah. That would <laughs> yeah. be the best. And you'll be able it's, it's funny, like even people at home, they'll be like, oh, this thing's going to pin. I can tell. And it'll basically be they see the stock every time it gets above the strike, immediately gets sold. And every time it gets below the strike, it immediately gets bought. And you're like, you can kind of see what's going on. Hmm. Yeah. To start paying attention to that. Exactly. Yeah. Do, uh, do indexes ever get pinned? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And especially, um, and that's what really fascinating because a lot of times this happens around big whole numbers. So if you're looking at like an ETF or an index, the, the, obviously the at the money strikes are always going to be the, the most open interest and biggest volume, but then you'll mm-hmm. see stuff at levels, right? You'll see the, the, the low from a couple of weeks ago in the spy, mm-hmm. I'm sure it has a bunch of open interest. And then the previous highs, I'm sure has a bunch of open interest. The other thing you see in, in particularly, um, uh, well, you see it in ETFs and then uh, individual stocks is you see big round numbers. So like Tesla 
like every 800, 900, 700 strike always seems to attract a bunch of attention. And so those are very fascinating. If you're watching a stock like Tesla and it's expiration Friday and it's trading 695, there's a pretty good chance it's going to finish right at 700. Hmm. Uh, because there's a bunch of that gamma, like sort of drawing it like sirens to the rocks. And that's, yeah, that's all these, these weird effects that options expiration has is like all of that, all of those Greeks are intensifying into that last hour of trading. So I'm just looking at the options chain on Tesla, uh, 13,500, <laughs> 2,400, mm-hmm. 4,000 at 450. I'm sure there's a ton yeah. at 1,000 now, right? Let's see, I haven't gotten, yeah. didn't get that high. Oh yeah, 18,000. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> and that's like, that's a lot of people. So no, that 18,000 is interesting because it's a mix of institutional traders that are along the stock, institutional, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hedge funds and that kind of thing. And they're probably selling that 1,000 strike, right? Against all of right. the stock they own. And then there's a bunch of retail traders that are buying that 1,000 strike and being like, what if? Yeah. Right. <laughs> And they're kind of on the other side. And so that's like, you know, when we were, you know, taking it back to institutional order flow looks very different than retail order flow. And that explanation about multi-leg and single leg, you know, my co-founder of Options AI, he is from the institutional broker side and he jokes, he's like, I never saw a single leg options trade in from institutional customers which he was representing because they, you know, and if it was, it was probably against something, right? So if they're out selling a call or buying a call, it's probably like a hedge um, or, you know, adding income to something else. If they're going out and they're like, you know, I think Tesla's going higher. They're they're doing it in multi leg option strategies. So when I see a call sweep from like Benzinga, like on the their options alerts, almost always a spread. More than likely, it's more than just that. Exactly. Like there's something else that should be paired with. Yeah, they're either rolling something, or you should look for surrounding strikes to make sure that there wasn't another side to it. Right. Gotcha. And you know, and then again, you have to figure out like whether they're opening and closing. It's it's complicated. Right. Um, but the institutional order flow is, you know, it's almost all multi-leg. And at Options AI, our, our order flow is over 80, 85% multi-leg options. We were in an article with CNBC a few months ago where they mentioned that Robinhood's is 99% single leg. Mm-hmm. And not to, not to bash Robinhood, you know, I, I think Robinhood does. Yeah. Oh, no, you can. You go ahead. We, we bash them all the time. We'll, we'll do it for you if you want. Sickest UX I've ever seen. It's so easy to use and everything like that. They gamify things so nicely. But 99% of their, their order flow and options is single leg, which means it's all people doing lottery tickets. Yep. And so that is exactly what we are trying to be the place that people graduate to. And it's like, all right, well, that stopped working. <laughs> right. <laughs> At some point, the market got more complicated than just going higher every day because a bunch of people wanted it to. Um, you know, now what? And it's like, oh, well, now I've got to think differently and I've got to do some of these more high probability strategies. And that's what we, we sort of see ourselves as, you know, you could graduate from a Robin Hood or you could be, you know, staring at a wall of numbers at a legacy brokerage and be like, you know, this should be more intuitive. Mm-hmm. And that's where we hope to meet those people. 
And one more time for everybody, uh, where can they find that? Yeah, so you can go to optionsai.com. Uh, they can uh, follow on I am Options Learn on Twitter. Uh, and also by my name, like I'm a, <laughs> I was screwed that up. Uh, on my, uh, you know, by name, they can find me on Reddit and things like that. And then, um, you know, we have a learn options, uh, you know, blog where we write about it and do some educational videos and things. We are about to launch, you know, title, um, title pending, but it's something basically like an options university. And what we want this to be is like a nine or 10 very short video um, course course in quotes, like you don't have to do anything. Um, but basically that you should start and be able to watch these videos and, and really like a half an hour later, understand credit spreads, debit spreads, some of these common option strategies in a way where you're like, okay, I understand. I think I could apply this to, you know, my everyday investing. You know, I should be, there's no reason I, I shouldn't be using some of these things to add income or there's alternate ways, higher probability ways for me to express a bullish view or a bearish view and things like that. And we, you know, that's coming soon in the next few weeks. Well, there is an options university on your website. I was looking at it this morning. Yeah. And it's about to get a lot better. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Cause the yeah. stuff that's on there right now looks really solid. In fact, I was going to, yeah. And I'm, I'm recording, I'm literally recording videos as we, you know, like as soon as I get off. <laughs> Don't trade like these guys. They're, we're trying to boil it down like real quickly. And, and like, you know, I did a video the other day um, that was, I think it's like less than three minutes long where I basically, you know, I basically explain the difference between a debit spread and a, and a credit spread. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like, that's, you know, comparative to, you know, buying in a, a book on options and things like people should be able to understand this very quickly. Yes. I, I have trusted people. I think you did a fantastic job with the stuff I've seen on there Thank so you. far. And in fact, I'm probably going to add some of these links to our uh, resource page. For yeah, and go into the I, where you are. There's a place uh, where I, I think I have like the six trades, six strategies. Yep. Yeah, yeah go look at it right now. Those are real quick, like thirty some second videos. Yep, which is an attempt to explain an iron condor in thirty seconds. And it's like if we can explain an iron condor in thirty seconds, you can do an iron condor. You know? Yes. Yeah. You do such a good job with that. I'm I'm wondering what's uh, what do I need to start up an account with Options AI? Well, so to start you, trading. Yeah, so it's a it's a brokerage account, and so you have to do an application, and you have to say all of those you know required things, and then um, you know what we would say with any brokerage account, we are level three options. And what I was explaining earlier is, um, you know, that's intended for people that have bot calls and bot puts and you know, are willing to say that, um, you know, I have some experience in options and I have some experience in traders. So people are, people are going to be familiar with those application forms. And then what I would say is that we plan on in September, you know, that's why I was saying that this thing's coming in a couple of weeks. It's all tied to the fact that we are going to launch a subscription service. So for a small amount of money, um, and by small, I mean, it's going to be like, maybe like $20 a month or something. We haven't decided. But it's basically you get all of this tooling and all, and uh, you don't need the brokerage account. And that opens us up geographically into places like Canada and all that we can't operate in as a, you know, as a brokerage only. Mm -hmm. But it also just, um, you know, if people are like, I'm curious, I want to learn these things. And, you know, we want to we put it at a dollar spot that it's like, you, 
Netflix. Like you're like, oh, that's nothing, right? Right. And so we want to put it at that. And the reason we even have to charge is every it's real time. It'll be real time data. And yeah. That, that oh, okay. Number. Okay. Basically, every person that uh, signs up for real time data, it, we have to pay all the exchanges, and the yeah. exchanges charge a ton. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> So, um, so yeah. it's like a, like another like flow feed or exactly. Other. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you yeah. like, literally we have to pay, we have to tell all the exchanges, uh, how many people access real time data, like every month and all, mm-hmm. uh, and then we get a big, big bill. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Can't just get one Bloomberg terminal and oh yeah, you are in a lot of trouble. And if yeah, that, I know. <laughs> speaking of that, is like if you're a professional and you're opening up a retail brokerage account and you're like a registered, um, you know, uh, you have like a Series Seven, some you know, at some company, then um, that gets put into a separate bucket where you get charged like Bloomberg type prices per month for real yeah. data. So it's a, it's all very fascinating. It's all very old school. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Dan, you got anything else uh, for for Mister Legator here? No. This Legator. This has been. Legator. This has been phenomenal uh, insights into the market today. Uh, I'm going to have to re-listen with, and take better notes. I'm going to do it all in the form of 30-second videos for you. I think we may have to try to do another one of these recordings and maybe just do like a, more of a deep dive into the different option strategies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be really fun. Yep. Yeah, and we yeah. could talk markets too. Like we could, you know, be like, oh, this would be an interesting strategy in this stock right now. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. Mm. I like it. Should we wrap this up and let uh, let Mr. Uh, CC here go and actually make some of these yep, more content? Get back to work. He's promised everybody. Not <laughs> 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 enough time screwing around in the China shop. No right, time to get back right. to real work. We we th- thank you very sincerely, CC, for stopping oh, yeah. by. This has been an incredible conversation, and we do need to schedule uh, another one. That that's gonna yes. be great. Let's do it. Appreciate having me on. Excellent. (laughs) Folks, thanks for sticking around to the end. We hope you learned something. I know I learned lots of things today about uh, hedging and market maker behavior. Loving those insights. And Mm -hmm. really, really enjoying the education on Options Day AI. Check that out. Uh, find you can find CC like he like he said uh, at Options Learn on Twitter or Options.ai. We are closing up shop though, and we gotta go. But we'll be back at you soon with another exciting episode. And until then, happy trades. Bye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.